Welcome to the Shady Grove Radio Podcast, a production of Shady Grove United Methodist Church in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and glory share. On this episode, we'll hear a sermon from Pastor Darcy entitled, Encounter, Jesus Encounters the Devil, based on Psalm 25, 1-7, and Matthew 4, 1-11. Ms. Richard Colster, and I'll be reading from the NRSV version of the Bible. First passage is from Psalms 25, verses 1 through 7. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not leave me, do not let me be but, uh, put to your shame. Do not, let me, do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who they are wantingly treacherous. Make me know your ways. O Lord, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, my transgressions, according to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Next passage is Matthew 4, Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up, was led by the Spirit into wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him. To the holy city and placed him on the pinnacles of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the, st against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him, to a, to, the very high to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, uh, and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I, give, I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. <clears throat> Let us pray. 
God, we thank you for uh, your word to us this morning, for this opportunity during the season of Lent to look at how you encountered people, how you met people, um, the ways in which you met them where they are and loved them too much to leave them there. So God, for the the change or the transformation that you seek to do within us, uh, may we listen, may we be open, and may you speak. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. If you try to look up Lent within a biblical search, uh, you won't find it. As the noted preacher Barbara Brown Taylor reminds us, the idea of Lent as a season um, did not arise until a little bit later in the Christian tradition, um, after the boundaries of the scriptures were set, after the canon, as it were, was closed. Um, Now, there was, ever since the formation of the church, in the early church, there appears to be a time of intentional preparation leading up to Easter. Uh, It was probably to prepare converts for baptism on Easter Sunday. Um, But the season of Lent, Lent is a season developed somewhat later in the Christian tradition, probably around the 6th century, after the initial rush of Christian adrenaline had worn off. And believers, they started to be uh, a little ho-hum about their faith. The need for Lent for the Lenten season arose when the world did not end and Jesus did not return yet. And then the Roman um, emperor became Christian, Emperor Constantine, and thus the entire empire became Christian. And then something began to happen among the Christians. They built churches. They claimed territory. They hung crosses around their necks and settled into more or less comfortable routines. Bit by bit, Christians became devoted more to their comforts rather than to their faith. The plush couch, the several cars, the filet mignon with rosemary and butter sauce. (laughs) Sorry. Christians began to value conformity rather than living out a bold love. They blended in. They stopped expecting as much from themselves or from God, and they believed there was no contradiction between being comfortable and being a Christian. They decided to be nice instead of holy, and God moaned out loud. Someone then suggested it would be high time to call Christians um, back to their senses and suggested a time, a set-aside time for greater self-examination and prayer, Fasting, letting something go, taking something on. And so then the Bible stepped in to offer a way. How about we take 40 days just prior to Easter, to the high holy day of Easter, 40 days to sort of turn up the heat of discipleship. And God, of course, seemed to work in 40s, seemed to prefer 40s. Um, Noah was on the ark. It rained for 40 days. Moses fasted for 40 days. And the Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So the young church announced a season of Lent. Coming from the Anglo-Saxon word lengthen, meaning spring, not only in reference to the spring season that precedes Easter in our hemisphere anyway, um, but 40 days to cleanse the system and to contemplate what would remain if all comfort was gone. 
40 days to sort out what is temptation um, and what is abundance in my life. What, what seems like a sure thing um, and what upon closer inspection and reflection is a pale comparison. So as we begin this Lenten walk toward Easter, these 40 days um, during here the first Sunday in Lent, and we begin in the wilderness with Jesus during his 40-day encounter. Jesus is still wet behind the ears, still damp around the collar when he is taken by the Holy Spirit. He's almost chauffeured by the Holy Spirit um, out from the waters of his baptism out into the wilderness, out into the desert. Now, most people, after a mountaintop experience like Jesus' baptism, remember during Jesus' baptism, the heavens opened and God spoke and said, this is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Um, Most people, after something like that, would probably take a victory lap, right? Um, You might put something out on Facebook and Instagram, I am God's son, son, hashtag beloved, amen? But not Jesus. I mean, he immediately went into the wilderness. And it's here that he has his first public ministry encounter. Now, you have to know that this is a trend in the Bible. Often, if God calls someone to something significant, there will be time in the wilderness. Um, Think Moses, burning bush, the ground that you're walking upon is holy, take off your sandals. Um, Think Elijah, John the Baptist, whose entire ministry was out in the wilderness. But Jesus isn't going out to the wilderness to meet with God. God spoke rather clearly at his baptism. Rather, as a colleague, Brian Erickson says, Jesus is meeting with divine enemy number one, (laughs) the devil. Now, before we head out to the wilderness um, and consider this encounter that Jesus has with the devil, I want us to overhear this insight by C.S. Lewis. Christian author, um, and I would say probably one of the most practical theologians of the 20th century of the modern time. He's had probably some of the most, um, the greatest impact on how we understand God in the day-to-day. He said this, he said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall when we talk about the devil or the devils. One is to disbelieve or discount their existence. Um, The other is to believe Um, and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Um, First, too much attention on the devil. Um, You may have heard this perspective where the world is divided into a spiritual battlefield um, and um, we become mere pawns moved around between the forces of good and evil. And the free will that God has given to us is diminished in the process, in the shuffle. And the devil becomes the prime architect behind anything unwanted, difficult, and tragic in our lives. We can remember also, I think this is, this is significant, that the Bible chooses to personify evil, calls the devil Satan, which is a kind of a title. Um, Satan means the adversary. Um, it's a title as much as it's more than a personal name. Um, but the Bible, I think, chooses to personify evil so that we don't have to, Right? The reserve sign is already um, on the personification of evil because if we try to do it, naming things evil, people evil, this person is this, in our frail humanity, 
Inevitably, when we personify evil, it's going to fall along our beliefs, preferences, even our politics, and our biases. So that, that is, I think, in part, why Scripture chooses to do that, so that we don't have to. Amen? But secondly, Christians can also discount the existence of evil in the world. Um, we can allow it to become a superstition, um, something rational, intelligent people do not acknowledge. We allow evil to become a caricature, a man in red spandex with a pointy tail, sharp pitchfork, and chicken feet. That is laughable but non-existent. Or we make evil and temptation so extreme that we opt ourselves out of its influence. Only the Hitlers and the Stalins need apply. I'm not as bad as those people. So it's not really impacting me. I remember if someone asking me if I believe in the devil, and I said, no, I believe in God. But I also acknowledge there are powers and principalities, as Paul says in Ephesians, um, that seek to influence us away from the ways of God. They're real. They're at work. If God wants to see us whole, connected, redeemed, saved, evil sows seeds of division, destruction, and isolating shame. Evil wants us lost. And it does this through influence and through temptations. Jesus' encounter with the devil in the wilderness reminds us that temptations are at work, that none of us are exempt from the influence of the tempter, not even the best of us, maybe particularly not the best of us. Though what tempts us does change, what may tempt you doesn't necessarily tempt others. Sometimes they feel as though they are custom created, <laughs> compelling, designed to entice. It's no wonder that in the Lord's Prayer, um, this is the prayer that's sort of the pattern for all prayers, Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation. But if we take the bait and things escalate, then suddenly we need deliverance. <laughs> we need saving um, and deliver us from evil. Temptations are at work, and the encounter was all too real for Jesus as he went from the life-giving waters of his baptism, right, an identity-making event, here is who you are, here is what you are called to do, and then straight to the, rust, the dusty, rocky terrain of the wilderness. When he literally left the hands of his family, John the Baptist, remember, was his cousin, and he went to a landscape where not a soul was to be found. You know, which, by the way, is the ideal setting for temptation to occur when we believe that we are isolated or alone or forgotten or discounted, temptation becomes more compelling, more attractive, when we either believe no one's watching us, therefore there is no accountability, or when we think no one understands, no one cares, and we are forgotten. I remember watching an interview with the actress Viola Davis um, and she won an Oscar for her supporting role um, in a movie in 2017 called Fences. Anyway, she was giving an interview following receiving the Oscar, and she said this to the interviewer. She said that this award meant so much to her because for most of her career, she's felt like an imposter among incredibly talented people. She feared that every set she walked onto, that people would turn to her, look her in the eye, and say, you are a terrible actress. What are you doing here? 
They brought on a psychologist who gave it a name, an imposter syndrome, right? Many people feel this way. The psychologist said that even with success and achievement, um, with running to reach that carrot, they feel as though they do not have a place around the table, that they really don't belong there, and at any time, someone's going to sniff them out. You know who started that rumor? Mm. It's as old as the hills. I thought here is an incredibly talented and beautiful woman, Viola Davis, and for years she has believed a lie. And I imagine it still whispers her temptation du jour, even as she holds a golden Oscar in her hand. Who hasn't felt that way? Temptation often sounds more compelling to us when we somehow believe that we're alone, we're isolated, we're forgotten, we're discarded. This is why Jesus stubbornly insisted on community all throughout his life and ministry. Um, Even when his friends betrayed him, denied him, didn't know quite what to do with them. Even when the disciples dropped, Jesus didn't drop them. Because he wanted to show them in very clear, visceral terms, do not give up on each other. Because a community shaped by the love of God is one of the antidotes to temptation. Ideally, a faith community, a community of believers and seekers, um, we are a place where we can speak the truth of God into each other's lives. Where we can say, you are not forgotten. You are not an imposter. You are a child of God. Change is possible. God is reaching out into your life. I see where you are and I will not judge you. Forgiveness is possible so that we can identify the voice of temptation when it shows up and show up it will. Jesus was alone when the voice of the tempter came, and Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting, not eating. He was famished, as the scripture says, at the end of this time period. And so that's when the first temptation comes. And I have to say, to me, on the surface, it sounds quite reasonable. The man hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's been fasting. And the first temptation, the tempter comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Temptation sounds um, reasonable, rational at times. It says to him, take care of yourself. You need this. You deserve this. You've been stressed. It's been a long time in the wilderness. Come on now, do it. But Jesus uncovers it for what it is. It's a compromise to his mission. It's a detour from his identity. It is self-care on temptation's terms, not God's. So he responds with scripture. He says a person doesn't live by bread alone. It's one thing to go to bed hungry. It's another thing to go to bed compromised. Amen? Often when the world talks about temptations, it's the things that we know could lead to destruction. Spending, um, increasing alone time with the attractive coworker, Returning texts with the ex. Telling ourselves that one drink will not turn into two or three or four or the second bottle and then we don't really have a problem and we can stop at any time. During the season of Lent, we we may look at some of these overt patterns But also, it's the invitation to notice some of the temptations that come to us at first sounding a lot like like goodness. You deserve it. Jesus' first temptation, 
Take care of yourself. You've earned it. You work hard. Now play hard. But where would it take him? And where would it take us? In the second temptation, the devil takes Jesus to the holy city because there is nothing like being in church to make you believe that you are exempt from temptations. Amen? Takes him to the highest pinnacle um, of of the temple and says, okay, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from this place. In other words, prove your faith. Okay. Once again, however, it's not on God's terms. It's on the devil's. Jesus doesn't need to prove his faith through some superhero religious stunt. He needs to prove his faith by how he respectfully deals with his coworker who is frustrating him to no end. Amen? He needs to um, prove his faith by not choosing, in to, not choosing to join into the text thread where all the friends are talking about the one friend who's not on the text thread and who's pulling them down and disparaging them and behind their back stomping on them, right? That's, that's where faith gets tested. It's not in these dramatic actions necessarily, but it's in the day-to-day, how are you living out being a follower of Jesus? Where does the rubber hit the road for you? and stretch you in your life in the light of the teachings of Christ. Now, lastly, the third temptation, you can tell that the devil is getting desperate. And he says, all right, all right, I've had this one in my pocket for a little while now, but I'm just going to go to a sure thing, the thing that works with most people, right? Real estate. We know home prices right now, amen? Location, location, location. He says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. All of this will be yours. You can do with it as you wish, Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me. But at this point, Jesus is on them. And he said, really, this isn't about real estate. It's about what I worship. What I place on the altar of my life. And Jesus says, I know what is there. You see, if Jesus would have taken the deal, he would have revealed or become a God that rules over, but rather he remained true as a God who serves from the ground up rather than the top down. But notice that in every temptation, whether it was seemingly self-care or religious in nature or the more overt deal of money and power, in every instance, the antidote to temptation uh, was obedience. It was the living word of God and the way that that word becomes alive in you, and it shapes you, and it forms you. I hear you, Jesus said to temptation. I see you for what you are, and you sound compelling. It is not who I am. I will not choose your ways that lead to destruction for me and for others. I choose life. I choose life. So I know that Lent may not be the most comfortable of seasons for us. It is the equivalent of taking our spiritual vitamins, and not the kind that you just swallow, but the kind you have to drink that tastes kind of bad. Amen? And exercising our faith muscles until they're sore. Particularly now that we will be even more, hopefully, on the lookout for temptation. And the ways that the tempter has custom-fitted these enticements in our lives. These influences are real and they're at work. But take heart. Despite what the whispers say, you are not isolated. 
And all of us have the living word of God so that we can look temptation right in the eye and say, I know who you are. Get long and get gone. We have a kingdom life to live. Amen. Come and listen in to a radio station where the mighty host of heaven sing. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you want to hear the songs of Zion coming from a land of endless spring. Get in touch with God. And turn your radio on. Listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Then glory share. Turn your lights down. Turn your lights down low. And listen to the master's radio. Play.